welcome to another edition of Reptile Fight Club. Um, sorry, we've kind of been uh, out of order a bit. We haven't been recording uh, many shows lately. Um, this is partly due to a few different things. Uh, on a sad note, uh, Chuck is bowing out as the co-host. So um, I'm, I'm really sad to lose Chuck, and and hopefully he'll make his way back someday. But for now. Uh, I am Chuckless again in Fight Club, Bill. Um, but uh, we we do have a a wonderful uh, replacement for for Chuck at this time, and my uh, good friend uh, Bob Rock, <laughs> Rob Stone. Thanks, uh, thanks for oh, being yeah. here, and thanks for you know for uh, co-hosting for the at least the foreseeable future, and um, we'll see we'll see how how. Uh, if Chuck ever decides to come back, you know, his, his seat's always uh, open, but, um, yep. Just keeping the seat warm for him. Should he ch- <laughs> uh, change his uh, mind or circumstances or whatever? No worries at all. Yeah. But Rob comes with uh, a wealth of experience, very smart guy, uh, good herping buddy. So, um, it'll be, it'll be fun to fight a bit with, uh, old Bob rock, <laughs> old Bobby pebbles as Schmitty calls him. <laughs> I think that's my still my favorite nickname for you. <laughs> I hope you like it, but <laughs> anyway. Yeah, it's not too uh, bad. <laughs> we've also uh, got a, a recur- returning, a recurring guest uh, tonight, uh, Dustin Gron. Welcome back. Hello. <laughs> He's uh, another of our herping buddies, so I thought we'd we'd start out with a, a nice, easy show with friends and and get some. Uh, get another episode in the queue here and, and hopefully keep these going again. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how the dynamic shift or we won't have uh Chuck's, uh, witty, uh, humor for, for the show, but I'm sure, uh, uh, Mr. Stone can fill in well there as well. But, um, so yeah, today we're, we're going to talk a little bit about, uh, field collection. Uh, so, but, I don't know. How are, how are you guys doing? How's everything going with the collections and stuff? Dustin, how about you start? Um, <laughs> how you doing? <laughs> yeah, things are going good. You know, finally, finally slowing down a little bit. Yeah. Not uh, trying to spend every waking moment herping or cleaning reptiles. Yeah, I imagine you have a little more free time in the winter. <laughs> yeah. <just laughs> when the uh, field is not calling. Yeah. I know how it feels, but I'm I'm itching to get back out there already, man. I yeah. I don't know. It's I, I miss it miss it already, but it is kind of nice to have that break. Yeah, it'll be it'll be back soon enough. Yeah, for sure. How was your season? Uh, you uh, pretty herping, good. Herping herping season last year. Yeah, it was it was pretty good. Um, I mean, mm. Utah was a blast. Yeah, that Utah was a good a, good. That's trip. a big highlight, you know. For sure. Went a little little lighter this year, but still. Got out with some good friends, saw some cool snakes. So, mm-hmm. what was your highlight in Arizona? Um, ooh, probably the Obscurus, or not Obscurus. Sorry, sorry, I don't know why oh, I said that. I'm like, wait, yeah, you found Obscurus? Oh <laughs> uh, no, the Massasaga. Massasaga, yeah, <laughs> that's yeah, pretty been, cool. Uh, yeah, I've been looking into some Obscurus stuff. So, yeah, and you didn't get your car uh, taken away or anything, so that's good. <laughs> yeah. You made it out there safe and uh, made it back fi- finding Ma- Massasaga and not losing any equipment in the process. So that's good. Yep. yep. Uh, when we, <laughs> it was fun to hang out with you in Chicago, I, you know, it was probably a little too uh, late in the season, but I was thinking, man, it would be, wouldn't be too far to drive out and look for Massasagas, but <laughs> I, I didn't uh, end up doing that at all, but that would have been cool. It was yeah, kind of a short a, trip. Yeah. There's a little, little pond behind our hotel. So we went and looked for some garter snakes, but. We didn't see anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's hard when you don't really know the area very well, but, and it's kind of late in the season, but yeah, someday it'd be nice to go out to snake road or something. That'd be a cool. Trip. Oh yeah. It's kind of, it's one not those, too far uh, from there. yeah. One of those things you got to do it at some point. Right. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was a, it was definitely a great trip in Utah. That liar snake you found was, was pretty big highlight. And, um, yeah, we 
we we had a good good uh, trip with a lot of the rare stuff. I can't believe yeah. we didn't see any gopher snakes. <laughs> that was really weird. No no gopher snakes to be found, and we were in their habitat pretty much the whole trip. And uh, they're one of the almost gimmies, and I just can't believe we didn't find one. I know. I really wanted to see one too. Yeah. Well, we'll give it another shot. I'm sure sure we'll have. Uh, Plenty of chances to, to yeah, find we got to find more uh, pyros up there anyway. So, yeah, exactly. You got to find one when I'm there <laughs> or, or another pair. That would be cool. I wouldn't mind yeah. seeing that. <laughs> yeah. These guys found a, a pair of pyros breeding in the middle of the trail while I was uh, still at home. I hadn't left yet. So uh, Rob called it. He's like, we're going to find a pyro while you're sitting at home. And, and he uh, called a shot and, they found them. So yeah, just more reasons to get out there, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm already, uh, making plans, get, getting out there. So hopefully I can, uh, do, do a good bit of herping this year. Um, me and, uh, my wife are going to go out to, uh, Baja in, uh, January, kind of towards the end of January, go look for, uh, whale sharks. So not quite herping, but <laughs> it should be cool. It's kind of a, Where you guys going? Item. uh, La Paz. Nice. So, yeah, we'll be on the uh, Baja side. So I don't know. I'm I'm curious to see. Like I, I need to ch- uh, scope it out a bit and find out if there's uh, many records during the the winter. But um, yeah, hopefully I can sneak in a little bit of herping. <laughs> I, we won't have cars south, or so. anything, but yeah, it's it's down there a ways. So you'd think it would be somewhat. But the it looks like the water's a little chilly, <laughs> especially considering. Um, we, we were on the other side on the mainland side and it was like bathtub warm in October, but I think it cools down a bit, uh, between October and January. So unfortunately we won't have bathtub water, but it should be uh, cool regardless. So yeah, looking forward. L- luckily, uh, Heidi's passport came through really quick with no issues. So she's set and we're ready to go. So I'm about ready for a passport update. It's kind of crazy that how fast that comes around, but yeah. Uh, missing Australia too. I got a, a notice from Luke on, or a messenger uh, message from Luke uh, over in Australia. He just did a South Australia trip and found a bunch of cool stuff. And he's showing me all the Delaney uh, knobtail geckos that he found. <laughs> I'm like, come on, I was right there. And it was just cold. There was nothing moving. So that was kind of a bummer. He found like, five or six of them, you know, just out on a night of, of looking. So I guess they're pretty easy to find as long as it's not uh, 15 degrees Celsius. So give it another shot. <laughs> yeah. But that was a cool, cool place. It'd be, be a good one. I'm still, now I'm waffling on the, the, the uh, 50th, my, my 50th birthday trip over there. I'm thinking Central Australia is kind of calling my name. There's there's so many targets over there. I don't know if you guys would be up for uh, Central Australia or, or you like set on Western Australia. I mean, Australia's Australia. No, I think that's so. pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Central yeah. has got some really cool stuff, cool scenery, cool reptiles in general. So a lot of my favorites. I, I need to find a breadlie and and. Uh, uh, several other uh, multifaciata, right? Have you multifaciata and a, a Western yeah. uh, occipitalis? A bunch of different, yeah, yeah. The the Western Centralian blue tongues, the uh, Centralian knobtails, Centralian pythons. So many so Centralian things I need to find. So <laughs> yeah, but uh, it's I don't know. I I love the canyons of Central Australia. It's a pretty cool spot. So I think I think it'd be a good trip all around, but. Little more logistically yeah. difficult, but feasible. Uh, you, yeah. Yeah. But not easier to do. Yeah. Not quite as far as flying over to WA, but Yep. So I don't know. If you feel strongly the other way, let me know. I'm sure you can talk me into something else if you really want to. But <laughs> I'm thinking Central Australia is uh, calling my name. Um, especially, uh, Matt Tejan was just over there. Yeah, that sounds good. Oh, I saw his pictures. I know. He found so many cool things. He got like, what, three or four Glebopalma? <laughs> that was pretty sweet, you know. Uh, that'd be a good one to see. Uh, and the Gillens. Gillens, yep. And he found, a uh, some Centralian knobtails. And 
I don't think he got a Centralian Python, right? He didn't get any bread left. Uh, I, I don't think so. Yeah. But, yeah, cool spot. So I think that's that's kind of what's pulling me at this stage. I haven't been since 2010, so it's been a little while. <laughs> About time to go back. Um, Yeah. So anything else exciting in your reptile lives? <laughs> I don't think so. Just planning out trips, man. You know, getting getting excited for it in the downtime and mm-hmm. all good. I, the Florida trip you missed out on because you had to go to Australia. You know, well, yeah. you guys went to the gecko thing and then uh, you know had to go to Australia, I guess. But yeah, uh, yeah that was deal. a good trip. Fun to go out. You know, always fun to be with Nipper and uh, Nipper and Eric and Phil. You know, yeah. it's a good group. But uh, and then yeah, a lot of time with KJ, meeting KJ, and then hanging out with him quite a bit. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, so that was really good. That's cool. Yeah, I don't think I've met KJ that I can remember. Sorry if I've met you before, KJ, but if you listen, but yeah, it's, uh, um, that pine snake was pretty sweet. Yeah, it was. Yeah, that was, that was definitely a, uh, you know, that was a perk. And then the, where we were at, for the most part, we didn't have service, but, uh, at that point, and we were supposed to meet KJ out there, like he was going to come up later in the afternoon and, um, we were so out of, you know, out of pocket on the, the service that, uh, we just weren't able to connect. So it'd be into and out of service and trying to figure out where we were at based on texts and all that. And uh, Phil's service came through when we were at the Pine Snake. And so uh, mm-hmm. Phil answered the phone and KJ said, where are you guys at? And the answer was, we are at the Pine Snake. And you can imagine <laughs> uh, even even a jaded Central Florida herper, KJ was definitely <laughs> excited and excited for us. So that That's was really cool. good. Yeah. It's nice to knock out those uh more difficult targets for sure. But so, yeah, I guess I'm curious what your highlight of the year was Rob for uh, finds in this last season. Well, yeah, I don't know. That's tough. There's been a ton of cool stuff as you guys were, you know, mentioning the Utah trip was fantastic. The, that uh, Gila monster that you found just in terms of, I know, well, for all of us, right. The photos that we were able to take, I know are special to all of us out of that one. That was a, stunning animal and uh really able to take special artistic shots of that animal and stuff so that that's definitely up there for Mm -hmm. sure yeah you can't Um, beat that backdrop of the red rocks like i mean the first one's definitely cool of course but it was in like under a sagebrush or something kind of in the dirt you know it's not really as uh, photogenic as one sitting on the slick rock you know the red rocks so yeah, I'd, I'd agree. That was one of my highlights. And the time sure. that went into that, right? You know, yeah. yeah. how much we were out there for it too was really, was really cool as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Seeing yeah, so tracks that would definitely be up there. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. funny how they, yeah, they just sit and walk, walk right over yeah. your tracks and we're sitting there scanning so intently and missing the ones that are coming mm-hmm. out right as we leave or something. I don't know. I get, maybe they're just, you know, they, they know what they're doing and they wait for the big monkeys to leave before they start cruising around. So, uh, I don't know. yeah. Um, and then the, the price, I guess were cool too. And I was glad to just not die. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that was, uh, that was when we were leaving that the, the spot of the, the first slash second one. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like I came, we, <laughs> right. So you guys had, had taken off and then, uh, I thought, well, it can't be harder to go over the top. And then that was not correct. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> At least with the line of approach that Tom and I had taken, that that wasn't right. So, yeah, it, yeah definitely reached the point in the venture where, like, surviving in one piece was uh, the primary mission. <laughs> yeah, it was a little little sketchy. <laughs> but uh, what, a, what a cool – I mean – I don't know. I just love going to a spot that, you know, I guess is close to where you'd expect to find them, but uh, far enough away that it seems a little more novel. (laughs) If is that cryptic and cryptic enough, but (laughs) yeah, just kind of saying this looks like good habitat and checking it out and, and being right, you know, I guess finding, finding one. So that was uh, definitely a thrill. I think uh, Rob and I also have an honorable mention of the Arizona pyro. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that was, was oh a, yeah, that that was super fun, man. That was cool. <laughs> that was super fun. Man, you got double pyro. Just the experience yeah. around the whole thing. No oh, broken wow. arms. You know. Yeah. No squash tags. 
Yeah. Seemed dodgy for a second. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Those, that story of you guys what, lifting the giant rock or stump or whatever and don't let go. I've got the snake. Don't let go. Yeah. Don't squish me. Don't squish me, and bro. <laughs> they're all of our arms and your head. And yeah, it was pretty good. So, it's like the things we do. We don't need to see what happens if you drop a 250 pound rock or whatever yeah. <laughs> onto, onto bones. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I ended up uh, going back down to St. George uh, kind of later in the in the early fall, I guess, and uh, taking a couple of those California Kings back down to close to where we found their mother and releasing them back into awesome. the wild. So that was pretty cool. Um, I met a another uh, friend on Did the you way see down. Else down there. Um, it was it was. Uh, no, <laughs> I wasn't down there for very long and right I only out. had like maybe yeah. an hour. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I saw a side botched lizard, which oh, is okay. a pretty much a guarantee. If you, if you walk anywhere in, in the area, you know, so you're going to see a side botched lizard, but sure. yeah, I, I, I went out in the middle of the day and, you know, kind of released them into a nice uh, crack or burrow that, you know, that would uh, at least give them some security in the immediate future and let them kind of get their bearings and stuff. So hopefully it's a good spot. Um, one was, uh, there, so it wasn't quite the same area that we, we found them in. It was a little, little bit away just because, you know, where we found them was kind of in a neighborhood almost, you know, uh, really close to people. Right. And so I, I put them uh, a little closer to where we found the Gila's. Slightly so, further. Yeah. Okay. In that area. So nice. yeah. Okay. I, you know, I, I kind of want to see uh, a, a cow king in that red rock habitat. That would be cool. So maybe uh, releasing a couple in that area. So yeah, we'll just have to check in on them. Yep. When there we go, you go. In, uh, June. <laughs> yeah. So pretty uh, pretty nice experience, I guess, to be able to put some back. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's be great. Yep. But man, what a what a great year, and I'm looking forward to to more. I think the, for, for me, um, I really enjoyed seeing those Gigi skinks. That was kind of a, a lifer for me and seeing those walk around, yeah. you know, crawling around on the rocks and stuff. And, and especially since it, like the conditions weren't great and we were almost left because it was kind of cold and we could kind of see the sun trying to make its appearance. And, and then it ended up coming through and they started, uh, coming out a little bit to bask. And so we, uh, Jordan spotted one. And as I was going over to look at that one, we, there was another one just on the next crack over. So it was, it was pretty cool. Um, those and that, those conditions sound kind of like our labor day. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's yep. kind of waiting. Will it come through and peek on us and all that? Exactly. So, that's very cool. And yeah. 40 shinglebacks. Holy moly. Yeah. <laughs> those, they were all over the place. It must be uh prime time for shinglebacks. So might you not find 40? geckos, but we saw about 40 shinglebacks. Yeah. It was uh crazy. And we stopped for every, every stinking one of them. <laughs> it was like, they just don't get old. I don't know. It was so cool. And uh, I, yeah, they're cool. I can't even imagine one, let alone 40. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and I awesome. talked, um, Oh, who was that? So, somebody on the message board was like, you know, I drove up from, you know, this spot to this spot in South Australia and I saw about 20 shinglebacks, you know, on my drive. And I'm like, okay, is that like exaggeration? And no, it was right. not exaggeration. Right, right. It was, it was actual 20 shinglebacks, you know? So yeah, it was pretty cool. But yeah, there's something about seeing one of those the things just so making its way across the road. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. A hundred percent. The part that's so crazy about that is just they're given their low fecundity, right? The yeah. number in the population to support seeing that must be insane. Yeah. And and they must. I, I you mean, know, which is awesome. Yeah. yeah. They've got to have a pretty long lifespan and they've got to have pretty low predation rates, I'd imagine. Especially where they're out in the middle of the day, right. just cruising across the road. They're pretty tough. I mean, they've got some pretty thick scalation and. And, uh, you know, they can get, get a little, uh, defensive if, if they need big. to. Yeah. Yeah. So they're already kind of starting out with, uh, you know, in, in good, good condition. So it, they, you know, it just must be a, a factor of them living a long time and being able to produce and, and just have a good, healthy population and maybe low competition from their cohorts. I don't know. Since they're vegetarian yeah. and, and know. that Moloch. 
That's uh, another. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe the Central Australia Terrapool could be able to take that one. But yeah, uh, yeah. yeah that's such a cool animal. Yeah, yeah. It's and it's always nice when you kind of do your, you know, do your due diligence. You find a spot where they've been found before, and you're like, okay, let's hit this. And nobody really. Um, I mean, they they checked our work, I guess that you could say, but nobody really told us where to go. But they saw, okay, you're going there; right. that's a good spot to go, and so that gives you some more, a little more confidence. But you know, where we'd struck out on some of the other targets, it's like, ah, you know, maybe, hopefully, we'll find one. And sure enough, you know, it's unmistakable, like that little gate they have, and you know, kind of that chameleon walk, and the the tail kind of arched up a little bit. That's yeah, you see it from a mile away. It was pretty pretty exciting. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. Yeah, and that's super fun, too, to be in, uh, you know, at least the way I like to do the trips, right, is to exactly that process you just described, where it's it's not saying, hey, tell me where to go. It's instead trying to figure it, suss it out for yourself. And then, yeah, yeah if you can have a little audit on that, that's pretty good, you know. And that, yeah. that was basically our Florida situation as well, you know, in terms of <laughs> – and I think I'm sure – uh you know, everyone who has a local area, you know, or whatever that they're known for, uh, it happens. But I know KJ just gets hammered for that stuff. So yeah. that uh, initially he was, you know, I told him we were coming and uh, he was like, oh, OK. And I think it was clear that uh, he wanted to vet the preparation that I had done. And that made a huge difference. And then the amount that uh, he wanted to talk about and come out with us and, you know, all those things. And I totally respect that. You know, I yeah. think that makes a ton of sense that it's like. He doesn't want to just, you know, it's that it's fun if you just get spoon fed all that stuff. Half yeah. the fun is putting in the work. I agree. I, I think we we think on a same on the same wavelength in that regard because you know I I just can't imagine like going on a tour and and having somebody like here is this and here's this and now we're everybody get in the bus we're going here you know it's just I don't know I guess I'm too yeah. selfish with my sure. time I want we'll to do it my way or something. That, that's another. Yeah, that's another fight. Uh, future, uh, I'll stake it out here now, so we have to do it. But that'll be a future fight club topic. Is sort of the the notion of these the the grand tours or these big groups versus uh, more so the way that uh, we we tend to do these things. Yeah. You know, in terms of I just honestly I, I get that there are some places where the the feasibility is really hard if you're not mm-hmm. you kind of the logistics right yeah. of like it. A, like but a Texas situation time, I just where I can't imagine going. On, yeah. Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah, right. You know, yeah, even guess... on one of these, like, oh, I'm a group of 20 people, you know, and then it's like, well, did you even see, you know, any notions around, well, were you the person who saw it and that extra joy that comes to you? If if you're totally divorced from the process of even figuring out where you're going, you're just along for the ride. For me personally, it wouldn't bring me any joy. Yeah. Now that said, I mean, I, I was looking, oh, well, we can save it for the debate. So <laughs> I'll, I'll save that. I'll put that in my pocket okay. for when Maybe we do that, we'll, yeah. that fight. Yeah. Maybe that could yeah. be the next we'll one. Take that, take that forward. Yep. Yep. I, I agree. But yeah, regardless, that's, I, I think, uh, and, and I think this last trip kind of sealed it. I mean, I did have fun going out with some of the locals and, and having them show me around, you know, it was really a, a nice time, but in, in Australia and kind of the Sydney area, but, um, there was something about getting in your rental car and just driving and trying to find, you know, the stuff that you researched and <laughs> tried to look at you know, finding. So. And then when you find one or two or three of your targets, that's a, that's a great feeling. All right. Yeah, for sure. Well, um, we ready to fight? Yes, we are. Okay. Let's do this thing. Um, so today we're going to be kind of talking about the uh, pros and cons, the, the ethics of uh, field collection. And I think uh, we've probably all, been there, all collected something in the in the past. So, you know, I'm I'm just curious to hear your thoughts on on this topic. And I thought, you know, Dustin, he's a a great field herper. He probably has an opportunity to to collect a lot of stuff if he if he wanted to. I know he's got a, a you know the collection permit to make everything legal and all that good stuff. So, but you know, I'm sure he doesn't collect everything he finds, or he'd be overrun with uh, animals in his home. So. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I thought uh, Dustin would be a good one for the for this fight. And uh, um, Rob has volunteered to uh, um, 
moderate this one. So we'll, I'm sure we'll have some good insight from him on both sides. So, um, but so we'll go ahead and between Dustin and I will flip the coin to see who, who takes what side either, you know, yay, I think we should all field collect or nay, probably a bad idea or something. So, okay, go ahead and call it. Heads. It is tails. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm going to take the, the, uh, nay, you shouldn't really field collect. So, um, I'll take that, that side of it and, um, I'll let you, uh, give, give us a start. I'm going to pull a chuck on you and let you start it out. <laughs> <clears throat> all right. Um, well, as we are all, uh, or I guess pretty much everyone listening to this podcast is a keeper of reptiles. Um, all of those had to have come from wild caught animals. You know, we don't just automatically have these animals in captivity. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, look where we're at now. Some of the crazy animals that we have. Um, yeah. I, I will say that I don't think you should collect everything that you find. Mm -hmm. um, I do have some some animals that I collected. Uh, maybe 1% of what I've seen in the wild. You know, nothing crazy. Yeah. yeah. And personally, I don't collect to resell or anything like that. Mm -hmm. I'm not, uh, not looking to make a dollar, just an animal that I really enjoy. And usually in a situation where it's beneficial for the animal. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think that's the one thing that really just rubs me the wrong way is kind of that collection just to flip them, just to resell them for a quick buck, you know? And, uh, I, I just, I think it was, it was made very apparent on that trip to Texas, uh, back when was that several years ago, a few years ago, 2019, 2020, somewhere around there. Um, June, yeah, June of 20. Yeah. 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 And, uh, we, we were, we were, there was some other group out there. There were about, you know, there were a couple carloads of people and we kept running into them and, uh, and they just were leaving a spot and we were just getting there and we were looking for copperheads and rock rattlesnakes and, um, they had collected a copperhead and a rock, rock rattlesnake now that, and, and they were basically on a collection trip. I think we probably interrupted some of those collection, uh, some collection of some animals because At the we were previous spot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we were in a, yeah. in a state park. So. You weren't supposed to collect. Exactly. That's where that lepidus. I'm, I'm still confident. We had a weird interaction with them. They left us with an yeah. animal. Yeah. And then they let us pass them and they were behaving super strangely. And, uh, the lepidus that they had, um, looked a lot like what is there, um, and not, uh, no records from the place then that they suppose they pretended to have found it. So, uh, I'm pretty sure we could have seen that too, which would have saved me another West Texas venture, um, in terms of the, you know, Crotalus species list. Um, but, uh, no, it had to go in the bucket because it was, you know, had to be resold for $75 to be, you know, not properly cared for. Yeah. So, and the thing, that salty. the thing that killed me too was them talking about the copperhead. They're like, you know, uh, it's, you know, it's, it's technically a different one, but it looks exactly like the ones we collect. And, you know, I collected like 20 of them last week from this property near my house or whatever. And I'm just like, if if you're going to collect 20 that look exactly the same, what do you need to take one out of the wild from here? You know, that that's just really bugs me. And then it took away our opportunity to see that animal because we were 10 minutes too late, you know, to the spot. So we didn't get a, didn't get to see it. So, uh, and it was just like right crawling basically through the parking lot. Somebody was just hanging out in the parking lot and, sp and spotted it kind of on the verge next to the parking lot. So it would have been a pretty easy find, you know, just parking the car and walking through there, you might've stumbled on it. So, um, anyway, yeah. So that, that's, uh, one of the big reasons that I'm, I'm kind of a, a little, um, against field collection, especially if it's just to flip the animal and just to make a buck. Now I agree, you know, we, we definitely have the animals in captivity that we have, and they originally came from the wild somewhere, but most of them we haven't had to take out of the wild for probably a good couple decades because, um, they've been captive bred and, uh, you know, from those original founder animals. So I don't know. 
that's uh, my biggest uh, sticking point with wild collection is flipping animals and just selling them quick for for a buck. Yeah. Um, another good point would be uh, adding new bloodlines into our already existing animals. Um, mm-hmm. Bringing in some wild caught fresh blood can help uh, help from bottlenecking our populations, making things a little bit healthier. Yeah, I I hear that. You know, I I agree. I, I think it is is it, it is important, but I think you know the the bottlenecking and inbreeding issues. Um, at least for most of the stuff we keep in captivity, is we're a little over cautious in regard to that. You know, and I and I guess I use I always use the Australian species that we have in the U.S. as kind of an indicator that that's probably um, you know where we've bred the same bloodlines for however many years they've been in the country. And we haven't seen too many huge issues. Although, you know, if there is a negative gene in there, it's going to pop up and you're going to lose that population pretty quick. But for the most part, you know, it seems to take at least many generations before you're going to see those effects. And with people's attention spans these days, who's taken their stuff out five or six generations, you know? especially with something that li- that can live 30 years, you know, you can produce from that same pair for 20 <laughs> so years. So um, I think, uh, you know, while there is a, a benefit of, of banding your bloodlines, um, you know, we could probably get by with, with not taking too terribly many out of the wild. <laughs> but there is still a need. Yeah. And to your point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, to your point, Dustin, I do think there's um, some fairness, right, in saying that the, um, you know, the the real factor is the question of how many are we taking and for what motivation, right? Taking a singular animal or even a pair of animals, right, to have one of each gender to mix into your projects. Really, we're talking about a negligible effect versus exactly, uh, Dr. J, the, the scenario you, you described in Texas. Right. Where it was just anything that could go into a deli cup was going into a cup. Those are really two different things. So I think fundamentally um, that's probably more what this debate is about, because I know for the most part, all of us kind of um, to the extent that it's sort of personal use are probably amenable to that to some extent, you know, at least in particular circumstances. But, you know, the thing that I just toss this in there, right, as a third party on this would be to say my biggest concern with animals that I encounter and have a great experience with in the wild is the fear that at some point, eventually based on life circumstances and whatever, that that animal that I had a great experience with in the wild, right, that's necessarily temporary and fleeting. If I collect it and bring it home, I'm really running the risk that at some point that animal will become a burden based on my circumstance. And it's really, to me, a big concern will be that it'll lose I'll ultimately cost myself that that fleeting moment with the eventuality of it becoming a burden. Yeah, that's uh, definitely a risk, I think. <laughs> yeah. And and I mean, once yeah, you've so brought it into captivity, it's ways, right? you know. Yeah. Once you brought yeah. it in captivity, it's not a great idea to release it back into the wild because it could be carrying something you can't see, you know, and it could result in uh, an outbreak of some disease or another in back in the wild population. So it's not a great idea to re-release stuff unless, you know, you've, you've uh, taken efforts to make sure they're clean or, or, you know, they're very young animals or things like that. So, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's a, that's a a tricky uh, subject. I I think a lot of us have in, in our minds and, you know, myself included that it would be nice to, to give back. And and that's kind of what I did with those California King snakes. And, um, but you know, there is a chance that, that, that could have a negative impact if, you know, things went wrong. And so, um, most, I guess, considering, you know, juvenile animals in the wild, um, have a very good chance of being picked off by a predator, especially if they're dropped into some area that they've never been before, you know, from, the safety of a nice cushy cage and then they're put back into the wild uh, that, but you know, I guess 
they all have that chance when they're, when they hatch out in the wild as well. And that's probably why you don't see a lot of juvenile animals in the wild. And they're uh, pretty good at uh, hiding out and avoiding those predators. But yeah, I don't know what else, what other, uh, by car, right. I mean, yeah, that's, exactly. that's part of the, the yeah. you know, notion of taking one or a pair that probably makes it fine is that it's, you know, it, particularly if you road cruised it, it's like, well, I, <laughs> <laughs> All yeah. I've done is sort of move the timeline, right? Or move the mm-hmm. the eventuality. I guess you've cost a meal for a scavenger, right? That would pick it mm-hmm. off, and that's about it. Yeah. Well, and and a lot of the scavengers down there are kind of out of proportion to what they probably should be, or that they're invasive, like the ravens down in so, so, uh, southern southwestern Utah, where they just sit along. You know, I mean, you can find rows of uh, baby tortoise shells from the ravens that pick them up and eat them and drop the shells, you know. Um, it's pretty pretty tragic. They're actually trying to control those <laughs> cleanup crews because they have they're they're taking too much of the the resource, you know. Right. And they're artificially uh supported from humans uh down in the area. So makes it a little little tricky that way, I guess, too. <laughs> Yeah, I, I I agree with you um, in in regards to the roadkill stuff, and and frankly, you know, I think there are some populations that could withstand some collection and and not not be affected too negatively. I I think about shinglebacks, you know, where you've got forty within a in a, uh, a one week trip basically, um, and you know, in one stretch of road in Western Australia, I counted about that many. Uh, dead on the road carcasses of shinglebacks. Now they probably stick around for quite a while. You know, they're, they don't, uh, right. degrade very quickly and, and they probably have parts that will stick around for a decade or so. But, you know, that's a lot of dead animals in a short span, you know, like a, what, a half mile, mile area. Um, so if they can take that much, uh, roadkill and we can still find, four or five pairs, you know, in the, in the immediate vicinity, um, they're probably doing okay. Uh, you know, and they could probably withstand a collection of a pair or two, but of course we didn't do that because it's illegal, but I'm just thinking, you know, and, and over there, you know, they're a very low dollar animal, but over here, that high demand and high dollar drives that illegal wildlife trade. So, you know, the, the, they say we're trying to stop this, but then, you know, kind of, keeping the demand high and the, and the supply low, they're, they're kind of promoting that in some ways, I think, especially if they could release uh, captive bred animals. Definitely. That's a whole other topic, right? To your point, Dustin, mm-hmm. too, I, I do think as you hit on that, the, uh, to some extent, right, this is just a situation of us externalizing our costs upon people elsewhere in the world where there are a ton of wild-caught reptiles, but it's sort of treated as one thing if it's collected in Indonesia as opposed to, you know, you collecting it yourself in Arizona, you, uh, Justin, in Utah, you know, that sort of thing where it's like mm-hmm. it might be permissible, but it sort of feels different to go to either, you know, at a show or, you know, dealing with an importer or or whomever, and saying, oh, well, this is, I feel totally fine about this, but in a way that you would not feel totally fine about if it involved you actually finding and then picking it up, that sort of thing. I do think there's something to that where we're sort of creating an artificial distinction between those two things that doesn't actually exist. Yeah, I think putting a dollar sign on an animal can also be sort of beneficial for them. Um, I mean, in Indonesia, it's, uh, it creates purpose for these animals i guess other than just killing the snake you know i can catch it and sell it or i can catch it and export it to uh to america where these things are sought after or these these things can uh or even promoting conservation ethic right in that same way of saying like i don't want to rip down the forest if if i can get a sustainable use by you know a small take yeah exactly yeah, that's a, a another tricky matter, you know, if turning, I guess turning animals into commodities usually works out poorly for the animals because either they, you know, they're sold into, you know, pretty poor conditions, the collection methods are pretty um, primitive or, or damaging to the animals, you know, they're noosing them and pull, ripping them out of trees and stuff. So, you know, they see them as a commodity rather than 
been a, an important part of, of nature. And so they're not really gentle in their collection techniques. And so, you know, the animals often don't live very long, especially some of these wild caught stuff from Indonesia that may be heavily parasitized or collected improperly or stored improperly before they're shipped out. And so, you know, that, that results in, I don't know, it's, it's a pretty, bleak situation. Rob would probably know best where he's worked for some of these importers or, or been closely associated with some for, for a number of years. But uh, I don't know, I guess from the outside looking in, it, it seems like just like a, a steady rolling death march, you know, for a lot of these animals, that's pretty tragic. So I think, you know, promoting that and, and being involved in that, you know, you, you see those uh, sketchy dealers out there and they're still in business and you're like, why are they still in business? Why don't we take a stand? Well, because they imported some rare reptile that some, somebody has to have. So they're going to look the other way at how sketchy this guy is and buy it from him anyway. You know, we're, we're promoting this uh, nonsense to, to persist. Well, that's why we got to vote with their dollar. Unfortunately, I think the price point drives that. Yeah. 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 Like what, what the value of that thing is, you know, if you're talking about wild tokay geckos, the sort of conditions before importation and the conditions of importation, less so now. I think it's improved dramatically from, you know, certainly over the last half century in terms of survivability and intentionality in terms of sending them safely. But there's no yeah. disputing that there's a pragmatism, a um, you know, cynical pragmatism to the care that goes into something based on the price point. Sorry, Dustin, I didn't mean to cut you. No, you're good. Yeah, that's what I was saying. We no, just I, need to I, uh, vote with our dollar, and mm-hmm. you know, Dan Mullary is, is an example of a great importer who brings in, you know, handpicked animals and top quality animals mm-hmm. that are in in good conditions over there. And once they come over here, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately for every Dan Mullary, there's you know two or three yeah. of the other stuff. Well, maybe that's an exaggeration. Hopefully that's an exaggeration. Hopefully there's uh, more good ones out there than than sketchy ones. But I don't know. It's hard to hard to maintain a, a positive outlook when you know you see some of these uh, uh, tables with just poor quality. You know, animals that are just going to die as soon as they they make it out the door, you know, that kind of thing and where they, they have no regard for the, the health of the animal. Now, you know, I'm, I'm probably being a little dramatic and there's probably one of those that maybe, you know, a big show or something, <laughs> but uh, you know, unfortunately the, the, what our, our whole, you know, her, not necessarily herpticulture, but like the pet industry is pretty tied to wild cots and cheap imports so they can, you know, appease the soccer mom whose kids whining for some lizard. She can buy it. It will live a week and then she can not have that responsibility anymore. You know, it's almost like uh, a win-win for, for the, uh, the death trade, I guess, <laughs> looking at the, the bleakest aspect of it. But that's, uh, that's hard to stomach sometimes. <laughs> yeah. It makes it a little hard to fight for this side, but <laughs> I mean, that's probably well, the strongest mostly, argument. On, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think a key factor too, right? That kind of as to both sides is saying, if you're talking about collecting and trading things that are either dietary or conditional specialists that are, you know, 95 out of 100 are not going to be set up, are not going to be sent to a situation where they'll be able to thrive based on either their dietary needs or the conditions that they require relative to the average pet situation. That's a whole different deal than saying a singular pair of it. Uh, I think Dustin will forever be salty with me based on our perception of uh, of you and our hosts and things. When you find a pair of mating pyros, uh, doesn't get more locale specific than that. So I think he's always, yeah. I think that'll always kind of stick with him a little bit. <laughs> yeah, but there's also a good feeling, you know, knowing that they're there, they're supporting the next generation. Yeah. And you might be able to go back and find yeah, some. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. That's you know where point. they are yeah. for sure. Mm-hmm. And they, you didn't, you know, they weren't in the middle of the road, mm-hmm. so there wasn't risk of them getting run over. They were yeah. well, you know, well within their habitat. And so, yeah, I, I think that was a, a good move. I would have struggled to, I admit it. Like that would have been a hard, hard thing to pass up. But, uh, you know, 
I don't need more, more uh, animals to care for. That's for sure. But, um, yeah, that's, I, I do like the idea of that. You know, I think that's a, probably a strong argument on your side is, you know, that locality, um, knowledge is, is kind of a, a fun part of herpeticulture. Yeah. Being able to propagate a known locality is cool. You get a, and I, you know, you get a little keepsake from a great memory. Yeah. Yeah. It reminds you of, you know, kind of that, that memory in, in a lot of ways, but, you know, again, I think, you know, that responsibility, um, to be able to let something go is, is, is uh, can be very rewarding, you know, to, to not collect yeah. is, is almost as, as rewarding as collecting sometimes. And then, uh, I mean, uh, you know, uh, there's, there are definitely times where it's probably just fine to collect. And, and I, I don't have, you know, any issue with uh, proper, well thought out and, and kind of targeted collection. I, I guess another downside in, in my mind is kind of the ignorant collection or, you know, I, I, uh, several years ago, um, somebody called me cause I'm, you know, the reptile guy in the neighborhood or whatever. And they said, Hey, we collected these cool lizards, but they're not doing great. Can you take them, you know, and see if you can do better with them. And it was a pair of uh, desert horn lizards, you know, the, that are not going to thrive in captivity and it's going to be very difficult. And, you know, I, I, I took them, I, I didn't know where they collected them or I wasn't able to get them back out before it got cold. And so, um, you know, and, and I, there was, I had a source of ants and I was actually trying to, um, try my hand and try to keep some, um, some of the Hernandesi, the, the short horned mountain horn lizards. And, uh, they were doing pretty well and, and eating well. A couple of the females had babies. So, you know, it was, it was kind of a fun, fun little project. Um, but, uh, in, in the end, I, I messed up on their hibernation and, and didn't, didn't do very well during that time and end up losing, uh, those animals. So, you know, and in the end, my, my failed experiment resulted in, you know, the loss of a, a couple lizards lives. So, you know, you, you want to be able to, um, I mean, obviously, you know, we can't, we can't win them all, I guess you could say, but, you know, as, as long as you're going into it with, forethought and planning and not just saying, Oh, those are cool. I'm going to take them home. You know, yeah. uh, I think, I think I'm okay with, with collection, but if you're just going to say, Oh, I like that lizard, I'm grabbing it and taking it to my house. You know, I think uh, you probably want to rethink that and uh, not, not do that. And, and how do we educate the public, you know, to not just grab and, and take it just cause they like it. Now that said, when I was a kid, I would do that all the time. Please dad, let me take it home. And, and I had really great parents that said, yeah, go for it. Take, bring that rattlesnake home. And, you know, and, and that kind of thing. And I, I had no, um, I didn't even realize that people made laws that said you couldn't keep a snake at your house, you know, that you found in the desert. So, <laughs> you know, it's just the ignorance of youth, I guess. Um, my, my dad, uh, probably was too nice, you know, in some, some instances, but, uh, and, you know, he, he probably had maybe an inkling that some of them weren't, uh, technically legal or whatever. I do remember him asking like a ranger when we were on a state park, if we could take one home and the ranger said no. So he told me I couldn't bring it home and it was a really nice look. I'm pretty sure it was a con color. It was really beautiful, like faded, uh, pink, but, um, I got, I got another one down the road. So like, uh, off the, off the state park at a different place, but as a juvenile and it, did great. I had that thing for probably, uh, uh, five to 10 years and ended up uh, giving it away when I realized it was illegal. So, <laughs> but yeah, so I, you know, I, I don't have a problem with it as long as there's thought and planning involved. Yeah. It's kind of my thoughts. Exactly. You need to be responsible for what you're doing. Yeah. Well, any other, uh, cool insights into, field collecting or great, great aspects of it, or have we covered uh, what you had in mind? Yeah. I think maybe just, uh, you know, for the most part, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> but it's a little hypocritical. I, I think, yeah, I think, I think the first, uh, first step is to look for captive bred animals. Yes. Like, 
you can usually find most of the stuff that's available in the wild. Now, I, I will admit that the the uh, morph <laughs> craze has kind of ruined a little bit of that, and and usually localities go away when there's a morph produced because they just want to produce more of that morph, and so. I'll, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying everybody does that, but that seems to be a common problem sometimes is finding those locality or even, you know, species pure animals if there's a morph involved. So it is nice to, I do have that, uh, I've been promoting, you know, having a project that doesn't make you any money. That's just a cool animal that you can appreciate, not because it brings you, uh, hundreds of dollars, but because it's a cool animal in its own right. And you take the price tag away and even give those away to, you know, friends or family or, you know, other people who are interested. So then they're not collecting from the wild yeah. or, or uh, promoting that. So. Yep. I think the biggest thing is don't do it because you think it's going to be cheaper because a, that might not be true. And B, you're certainly not, uh, sort of acknowledging both the actual costs that you're probably going to face in terms of challenges with acclimatizing that animal and B, your ex the externalized costs on the environment, right? So if you're doing it exactly as you both have said, with the intentionality and that intentionality not reflecting, hey, I don't have to go pay someone money associated with this purchase, um, as long as that's not the motivation, uh, or much worse, as you as you laid out, Dustin, that like, oh, I'm going to collect it to then sell it or whatever, um, which is the double. <laughs> I'm paying for. I'm not paying anything, and then trying to get money from it. Then, <laughs> yeah, I think we're all kind of on board with that. Yeah. Conscious use. Yeah. Cool. Well, and you know, I, I maybe we should have got somebody that had kind of an opposite view because I, I remember going on a on a trip to Australia with uh, Rob Roy McGinnis, who worked for Glades Herb and was one of the owners, I guess, of, of that uh, import business uh, back in the day. And, and man, that guy could find just about anything. Like he was a top-notch herper, but always in the back of his mind, like, I wonder how much I could get for this. You know, it was like everything had a price and everything, you know, and I was worried he was going to bring stuff home from Australia or get caught, you know, with something in his bag. And then we'd be labeled some, you know, collection trip or something. And we were like, no, nobody else in the group had any desire to try to take anything home or, you know, think about the, how much we could get for it or something. But that was always in the forefront. You were happy you had a different flight, that, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but man, he could find stuff. Like we'd be going 70 miles down yeah. the road and he'd spot a frilled lizard on a tree that was 20 feet off the road, you know, frilled lizard. And we'd stop and run, you know, a quarter of a mile <laughs> to where he saw this frilled lizard hanging out on the side of a tree. It was pretty pretty amazing. And like we'd stop to for a pit stop or something and he'd run out into the bush and come back with a couple of geckos or something. Look what I found, you know. So he was really good at finding stuff, but yeah. And I'm sure, you know, the other big caveat, sorry, go mm -hmm. ahead. Oh, I'm, I'm sure he, you know, he had a genuine love for the animals. Like he really cared about the reptiles and he was really interested in them. But, you know, there was always that caveat of, Ooh, I bet I could get a, a bit of money for this. <laughs> right. I think the other big caveat is, at least within the sort of this whole conversation, I think we've been as assuming we're talking about things that are within their native range. If we're talking about something, you know, so when you were talking about Rob Roy, that reminded me of, hey, what are we saying to Ron right here? And, the you know, the answer is that if we're talking about an invasive species to be sold into the pet trade so that a teenager can support themselves by collecting Cuban nitinols, that sounds all good to me, man. You know, that's no yeah. worries at all. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the laws that uh, say you can't collect a, like a Burmese python out of the Everglades or something seems just ridiculous to me, you know, a little backwards. Um, right. You, you can yeah, kill it, but right? you can't. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I guess that could potentially lead to people, you know, releasing veiled chameleons on their property so they can collect them and sell them <laughs> to the pet trade, you know, down the road, which is probably not the, style <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs> but uh you know i i guess i can't I, I can't say that i haven't been tempted to release some you know monitors down in the southwest to see if, if we could collect <laughs> that would be terrible 
Uh, oh, okay. God. Yeah, I would never do that, just for the record. <laughs> but how cool would that be to have a spot where you have parentes running around out in the out in the wild <laughs> in in the U.S. that you could go check them out? But anyway, I guess that's the point. You know, they they belong where they belong, and <laughs> if they're invasive, then yeah, go for it. Collect them. Get them out of the environment. As long as you're not releasing yeah. them, so you can collect them. I guess is the. Right. That, that, that is an added complication for sure. Yeah. But that is, I mean, that's a great point. I mean, uh, yeah, Ron definitely was doing the right thing, removing those uh, invasive species out of the wild. And if he could support, you know, his, his uh, reptile habit, all the more power to him. <laughs> all right. Any other uh, cool uh, thoughts in the back of your mind there, Rob? <clears throat> I think I'm pretty good. I I just feel bad that I think uh, I've kind of stepped on you both and throughout this thing, no. but uh, we'll get better no. as it goes. And uh, no. all thoughts to Chuck, you know, and um, mm-hmm. we'll, you know, just keeping the seat warm. So whenever he's he's good to go, it'll be good. But in the meantime, we'll try and have some fun here. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, you did great, and uh, you had <laughs> brought up some really good points. So thanks for uh, for doing this and being here. And yeah, this is great. I know uh, Dustin's got a got to work he's got to go to work in the middle of the night so <laughs> we won't keep him too much longer so he can get some rest or finish uh cleaning his reptile cages there but it was uh good to have you on and good to chat with you again man yeah it was good to talk to you guys yeah always good so right looking on, forward to herping with you in the in the near future as soon as things warm up all right any uh cool things you've seen out there in regards to herpticulture any um, exciting finds or in the world of reptiles. Nothing off the top of my head. That Matt teaching stuff is cool. Yeah. All yeah. his trip, man. Yeah. I think we're going to have to try and have him on here to uh, less so to fight, you know, less about fighting more about hearing all, <laughs> all that stuff. Cause man, yeah. super jealous. Well, that, the that fight might be is an... the, how jealous we are of what is trip, you know, <laughs> that's right. the fight. <laughs> well, it, it could be another uh, revisit of the, the Justin method versus the Rob method of <laughs> the yeah. covering. And I'll be know, ready for that fight too. <laughs> there you go. Sure. Thousands of miles versus a, you know, a couple hundred miles or something. So, yeah. And he did a, he did a big drive. He went from Northern territory all the way to central Australia. Kind so. of both though. Right. So yeah. it was, there's a, yeah, to me that was a combo because it's like the uh, uh, solid stay in two different spots with the big venture in between. So maybe that's maybe yeah. that would be a good topic if we can get him to go for it. So yeah, and I, I'm looking forward to the stuff uh, Luke will be releasing soon too from his trip to South Australia. They found some cool stuff. He had some. I mean, he's already posted a few little snippets. I think pictures of the Gillens and yeah. Uh, yeah. Did he post some videos of that? That was just, just hanging out like the actual video. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that Gillens was just like hanging on the side of the tree and they're like taking pictures and videos and it's just like hanging out. And that, that was my experience too. The first, uh, lizard I found when we, or well, I guess it was the second technically, but we were driving from the airport in Alice Springs into the town and there was a Gillens hanging out on a fence post and I walked over and like, I thought it was going to bolt at any second. So I'm taking pictures, taking a step, taking a picture, taking a step. And I just, I got right next to the animal. I reached over and picked it up and it just sat there. Like, let me pick it up. Wasn't trying to bite or anything. And I'm like checking it out and put it back on the fence post. And, and then it took off after I put it back, but it was, that was a killer looking animal. It was so beautiful, but yeah, there was just bold. Same, same thing with the, a lot of the, Eastern collared lizards too. Like you can just walk right up to them and pick them up. And once you get them in hand, they're all like trying to bite you and freaking out. But before you, before you get them in hand, they just kind of let you approach. Yeah. Pretty close especially those males, like bold. they'll stand their ground, uh-huh. puff up. When yeah. You walk yeah. It's pretty cool. All right. Well, get some sleep and, uh, we'll, uh, we'll have you back uh, again sometime soon. Sounds so, good. Uh, Thanks for being here and thanks to Rob and uh, we'll catch you again next week for another reptile fight club. Oh man, there's some empty space for a uh, Chuck quip there. <laughs> we'll just, we'll just have a moment of silence. <laughs> See you later. See ya. Fight club.